0: Hello and welcome to the 2019 F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Amanato, and this is Round 5, the Spanish Grand Prix. After four races of Mercedes domination, Ferrari arrived in Barcelona, the scene of its powerful pre-season performance, and absolutely founded, failing to score so much as even a podium finish. No number of upgrades could save the team from another painful defeat, and to make matters worse, it again fumbled over its strategy, potentially throwing away third place. So after the fifth consecutive Mercedes 1-2 finish, and to help answer the question, is the 2019 championship already finished, I'm joined by Formula1.com senior writer, Lawrence Barreto. Lawrence, how are you doing? Um,
1: very well, apart from the fact you just said, is it all over? And it scares me a little bit because we've still got 16
0: places to go. <laughs> it's such a high number. It's such a high number to consider this question. Uh, but it's it's the question that we've got to ask at this point, isn't it? It's the question that is being asked. I, I do like that this fifth race, I don't know what the stages of grief are, but it feels like one of them where people are now starting to accept or forcing themselves to accept that mercedes one two finishes are nothing to do with circumstance and simply that this car's just really quick in ferraris isn't
1: but also that the team is operating on a level that you can't really imagine ferrari ever managing to do <laughs> so, so if you've got that factored in and i agree the mercedes car is just better than every other car on the grid um it's looking slightly concerning um we've also had five different tracks and they've been you know, they've been strong or they've managed to get the most out of that package of five different tracks. Uh, and Ferrari haven't really got it together at any of them. So um, I'm I mentioning Ferrari because I just feel like they're obviously the closest challenger. Red Bull just a little bit more off. But um, it's, it's worrying. Um, <laughs> but I'm trying to be optimistic. So
0: it's not over yet, honest. Well, it's definitely... I mean, literally, it isn't over yet. It, there are still more races to go, but we'll see how they go. How painful was this weekend for Ferrari, though, considering that... Yes, yeah, so many people, whether optimistically or not, thought that it was a matter of time until Ferrari sorted itself out, considering its pre-season was so strong. Of course, this was the same circuit pre-season testing was held on. There was an expectation that they'd at least be very much closer to Mercedes, and they brought all these upgrades and an engine upgrade as well, and if anything, seemed to somehow be even further away this weekend. Um
1: yeah, okay, you're, you depress me even more, Michael, but um, <laughs> but you're making very good points. Um, I think um, when they brought this upgrade, and they brought um, both on the aero side and the engine side, and they returned to a track that they were so strong at, um, like you said, in, in Spain, I'm pretty sure internally they thought that this would at least bring them back on par and put them back in a position to fight. The slightly strange thing was that across the weekend, both Seb and Charles were saying that the aero update was working and even benotto on sunday when he talked to media said you know we're happy with what the update package brought but if they're happy does that mean that they're just conceding that mercedes who brought their own Mm. aero package just did a better job (laughs) because because ultimately they as you say they they were behind i'm not sure if they fell further behind but i just feel like they just haven't made any inroads into into that gap to mercedes um and yeah very concerning i think
0: there's been interesting talk, before we get into the race proper, and some more eagle-eyed listeners, uh, you can use your eyes when you're listening, I suppose, you watch the race anyway, might might be forecasting that there wasn't a lot of strategy to talk about in this race, but we will get to some strategy later on. But there's been a lot of talk about the the relative aero concepts or philosophies employed by Ferrari and Mercedes. It's, it's a little bit early to sort of say any of these things definitively because we are still so early in the season but is there a sense that whereas in pre-season testing a lot of people were questioning whether the route Mercedes chose being different from Ferrari was wise it's now the other way around it seems like and I think Mattia Bonotto mentioned mm-hmm. this as well after the race that actually maybe there's some fundamental issues that need addressing with the Ferrari car.
1: I think so um, I, Toto Wolff mentioned after the race that it's funny how things turn around and he, he kind of recall that story and and the the stories that were going around at the time that Mercedes perhaps had gone down the wrong path it's interesting that Matteo Benotto mentioned after the race on Sunday in a long list of things <laughs> that could have been a problem um that it could the concept could be a flaw i think it's just very interesting that he mentioned it because he's kept his cards quite close to the chest while being more open with the media definitely this year he hasn't um he hasn't normally given that many specifics about what might have gone wrong so the very fact that he's mentioned the concept and obviously that's such a huge thing because if it is the concept there's nothing they can do this year it's it's not something that they can change they can make sort of small adjustments um but it's not yeah, over changing the concept of the car this year is just not something that's feasible so ferrari will hope that it's not down to that and that they can find a way around it but if it is then um am oh, something <laughs> Depressing again. um, It's not looking too good going forward. uh,
0: Noble of him, uh, unlike at least so many other people, to not just blame the tyres when something's going (laughs) wrong, which is a, a common refrain that he at least hasn't gone towards. I guess that sort of begs the question then, if this is the case, is an interesting battle between Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas what we've got to look forward to now? Because we've had a couple of installations of that possible narrative so far this year they're closely matched in the drivers championship at the moment they split pole in the race win this weekend and there's sort of been suggestions but since Azerbaijan that okay they're getting along fine obviously there's not so much overt tension there but that everyone's very aware that maybe there could be
1: I think that's actually going to be the saving grace of this season is that um, we've got a Valtteri Bottas everyone's referring to him as Valtteri Bottas 2.0 yeah. um, we've got a driver who's capable of, um, at least in this current form, of challenging Lewis. Um, I mean, he, Lewis did show this weekend that he can have a bad weekend right up until Saturday night <laughs> and then still turn it around uh, on Sunday when it matters. But I think just the very fact that Bottas is asking questions of him Um, across a weekend and he's doing it consistently, I think that means that Lewis is going to have bad weekends. And I think if they can both keep driving at the level that they're driving, we could have a good inter-team battle. It's not obviously the ideal scenario. I think we've been quite spoilt in recent years, having a two-team, you know, Mm -hmm. Seb versus Lewis. And I think it's always there's always more to talk about when it's across two teams. But I think if we're we're striving for a battle of some sorts (laughs) and if Ferrari don't get their act together at some point soon, I think at least we have got this Lewis-Valtteri battle. Um, And I'm always intrigued to see how these kind of things work out particularly within the Mercedes uh, bubble because Lewis is as we saw with Nico Rosberg um he can he can get a bit agitated when things aren't quite going his way internally
0: Mm, uh, you sort of see that I mean people have seen this all the time when you know if he qualifies poorly for example as was certainly the case uh, in Spain, where Bottas had a pretty substantial six-tenths of a second margin, even if there were some mitigating factors, but it's still pretty big, regardless. And you sort of get the this Lewis Hamilton doesn't really like to answer questions with any long, long answers, gets a little bit moody. Sometimes that helps him a lot on Sundays, it turns out. But if you ask Valtteri Bottas, I suppose, it wasn't so much that Hamilton got a better start, but he had the... Mysterious clutch problem that yep. prevented him from from executing his start. Well there was a this,
1: there was the safety car white line again, wasn't mm. there, I think, that you could you could potentially <laughs> say was uh was the problem again. Um I yeah, I don't know. It was interesting that he said that the clutch problem this time was something that he'd never experienced before and that if he had the chance to do it again, he would just go through the same routine. Um, so it's interesting that he's opted to go down that path of an explanation, which would suggest if you give him the benefit of the doubt that it was, there was something that went, went amiss. Um, if it wasn't, then this start thing's going to be a problem going forward, <laughs> because as we saw in this race, particularly, if you're not ahead at turn one, you're probably not going to be ahead um, later you know at any other point in the race Spain's obviously a difficult circuit to overtake on for various reasons and let's not I guess we we shouldn't get too carried away processional races at Barcelona are, are, are usual are typical mm-hmm. so I i guess let's uh, that's something to be optimistic there you go I found something to be optimistic about <laughs> that other races um, might
0: not be as as dull as this one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly <laughs> um but I think I, I just feel that but us this years had this got this inner confidence um that I've never seen him. Uh, display so I feel like yeah he's been beaten this weekend but in a way that in the past he might have really got his head down I don't think he will have done that. and I think he'll just get back up and I, you know I'm interested to see how the next couple of races pan out.
0: It will be really interesting to see where this botass narrative goes. Uh, part of the reason he did also lose a position to Hamilton uh, obviously the start played a substantial part in that but he potentially could have hung around the outside of the first turn had the inside line to turn two and then who knows maybe they'd have crashed we've seen that happen before or maybe he would have held position but Sebastian Vettel had a pretty good start himself managed to get a bit of a slipstream down to turn one and hung around Bottas's outside unsuccessfully though locked up his ties and we'll talk about the effects of that in a moment but that kind of pincered Bottas as well and forced him to concede a little bit earlier uh, than perhaps he might otherwise have done and the knock-on effect of that was not only did Bottas lose a place but both Vettel and potentially Leclerc depending on how well his start would have gone Mm. then lost a place to Max Verstappen, so a fairly costly first lap. It was, but obviously great to
1: start with because to have three abreast mm-hmm. uh, going for the lead into the first one is the first corner is brilliant watching. Um, I think Bottas drove a little too kindly uh, in his approach Mm. to what happened there. He basically drove very fairly. And I imagine he had Baku in his mind. He also had Lewis's comments in his (laughs) mind where Lewis basically said, I didn't really push him. I could have gone much harder. I imagine all those things would have been in and around his head. He also would have known that if Seb had potentially got ahead of him, or even if he wasn't so kind to Lewis and slightly harsher to Seb, um, it could have changed the dynamic of the race and Ferrari could have actually been in, I don't know whether they would have had the pace, but at that point they would have had a chance to to mess up Mercedes's race. So I thought Bottas kind of took one for the team there. Uh, for Seb, I thought it was brilliant that he managed to have a, a stab down mm-hmm. the outside. It's just unfortunate that he just. I, I'm all for late braking, but he just left it obviously too late because he picked up that flat spot. Um, but it wasn't that much late because he didn't drift off the circuit that far. He almost managed to keep um, all four wheels in the on the circuit. I thought he was quite harsh in the way he then swept right back on because he basically thought to Charles Leclerc, I don't care that you're there, I'm coming <laughs> straight back on. And I think Charles could have probably got third at that point because he, he probably would, if Seb had given him space, he would have got ahead of him. And by that point, he was already ahead of Max. So he would have been lined in third place. So that would have been quite good for him. Um, obviously, like you said, Max was the benefitor uh, there. He just, for once, just kept his nose clean and took, <laughs> took whatever was, was there for him, there for the taking
0: in a beautiful difference compared to the way Verstappen was driving this time last year. Certainly a massive change for him to keep his nose clean. Thereafter, the race was between Ferrari and Red Bull Racing. The race for victory was gone. It was it was up the road fairly substantial, actually, fairly quickly as well. Uh, and this is really where... And it's strange because considering they weren't racing for victory, the pressure was almost even greater for Ferrari at this point just to lock down a, a podium position, which ultimately they didn't get. And we saw this... The messiness of team orders again raised their head for Ferrari. And it's weird because we've said this so many times this year. That could almost be the subtitle <laughs> of the season review DVD. What have Ferrari done this time? But it's never actually really been the way that so many people thought it would be the start of the year. That they'd just be moving Charles aside. Or even some people suggest that they might just be moving Sebastian aside. It's almost just been an incredible uh, lack of willingness to act that is causing concern about team orders at Ferrari. You get the feeling that they want to be decisive.
1: And so <laughs> the the strategy that they're trying to take is down that path, but they're not being decisive. And therefore when you try to be decisive, but you're not, it's actually even worse than just being careful. So I, they're just making it terrible. I don't, I don't really know what they're doing if I'm honest. Um,
0: I don't think they do either.
1: <laughs> I mean, quite possibly, I guess they're just trying to, they're trying to, Make the best of a bad situation. I guess they're always flipping to Plan B mm-hmm. when too early because they're then they're realising that the the leader's lot or the chance to win a race is lost much earlier than they're optimistic. You know they were optimistically hoping for, and so that is putting them on the back foot. And then when they're having to be decisive and make moves, they're not doing it. I think there was at one point during the media session um after the race, Bernotto was talking about how. They needed to give it a couple of laps before they kind of made a decision. It shouldn't take that long to make that call. It, it should, Shouldn't it just be quite clear that if one driver is faster than the other and if you're going to play this game of releasing one from the other, you just do it instantly. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But at least you've made the best of that decision. Mm-hmm. If you just dither for a couple of laps, and then so you've lost time anyway, and then you let them pass... And then it hasn't worked out. You've given yourself a double whammy. So I don't I don't really understand it again. And we're saying the same old thing, aren't we? Five races in now. They've they've done team orders at all five races. It's just like they're making the same mistake over and over again. It's like groundhog day.
0: <laughs> it is. It's it is incredible that the team hasn't doesn't seem to have learned so much from from the experience of the last couple of races, particularly given it was in China that The situation was almost identical in that they were racing Max Verstappen, although in China, I think they still had eyes for Mercedes. Uh, And in this situation, Verstappen was ahead of them rather than behind. But so strange as well, because at least you could say in China and in races past, okay, a driver might have been faster at a particular point in the race simply because they had a better feeling or whatever. But in this situation, Vettel had these horrible flat spots and was complaining to the team that he was too slow. Vettel was admitting he was too slow and needed to change his tyres and they still wouldn't let Leclerc pass. It took them so long that he lost time to Verstappen. Mm. And of course, there's the question of whether Ferrari was competitive enough to, to pass him back at any point in this race. And that's perhaps another question, but it's just so strange. They didn't even seem to want to give themselves the opportunity. No, and I think that's I think that's the thing because
1: they... They want to go and attack in their heads. And I think that they think and they know that's the right thing. But the default Ferrari approach is always to be slightly more cautious. Mm-hmm. And so they're, this, these two at, approaches are clashing. And that's why they're kind of making half-hearted decisions. And you're so right. I don't know why they allowed Charles to stay behind Seb for so long. Especially when Seb, who I guess ordinarily would be going, please don't, you know, please <laughs> don't ask me to move across was actually telling them this is the best case for the team. And what is concerning actually on that side of things is um, a couple of years ago, I remember Seb sort of suggesting that he was having to make decisions Mm. for the team or he was trying to suggest to the team, this is what we should be doing, you know, strategy wise. And, And he was doing that because he potentially didn't have the confidence in the team to do the decision. And that was making him take his eye off the ball. And I think we had moved away from that. And I think he had kind of had felt that he didn't have to be doing that so much. Now, going into this season, if he's starting to do that again, that could start having negative effects on him and his driving, and we could be going through this whole same thing all over again which would be a real shame if mm-hmm. they have had managed to kind of get on top of those problems
0: well brilliant you bring that up actually because that is, it seems to be exactly what happened uh, later on in the second stint of the race where Leclerc had been switched to what should have been a nailed on one stop strategy the safety car changed that of course but he was on the hard tyre at the time and had found himself ahead of Vettel um, after Vettel had taken his stop on the medium tyre Vettel at this point was fast. He was on a faster tyre uh, and the two were on different strategies so ordinarily it's a, it's zero not at all controversial to have drivers swap and yet there seemed to be some communication issues didn't there where the team seemed to be telling the two drivers different things regarding their strategies and by combination of Leclerc and Vettel forcing the issue managed to convince the team that they should be switching the drivers. So
1: I don't know there whether they were just trying to individually keep their drivers happy. Because mm-hmm. I guess so, not all the time the teams, it's not that they're lying, but they might be um, selective with what they tell their drivers just for the for the for the team result overall. That's not unusual. But perhaps it was just that Ferrari didn't quite know at that point what they were going to do with Charles. I think you're right in that Seb's strategy was pretty clear, but perhaps they didn't quite mm-hmm. know what they were going to do, and then they hedged their bets. I'm not an all honesty on this one i'm not sure what they were thinking so i don't know
0: <laughs> it is it's it just creates its own strange situations i think the way ferrari uh, approached this race and perhaps the least controversial of their calls in this race but one that was nonetheless interesting was that at the safety car when Leclerc had an opportunity to change off those hard tyres, which the team took up, and and fairly so, because they weren't so quick. I think even Max Verstappen at one point was commenting on how slow (laughs) Leclerc was going uh, and how unlikely he was to make a one-stop work. Um, They switched him to new mediums. Uh, It was the last set of new tyres he had left, I think I'm right in saying, but a lot of the rest of the field chose used softs uh, from qualifying, and it almost cost him at the restart, didn't it? Because Gasly, I guess, with that better tyre warm-up, Almost yeah. threatened to take a position away from him. Maybe the first overtake Gasly would have made this season, the top six, could have been on Leclerc. Um, yeah, I mean, Gasly hasn't been brilliant
1: this year. He's kind of on an upward trajectory. But you're right, he had that... In back, he did a fair bit of passing, but he hasn't really... We haven't seen him put a move on a top six driver yet. Um, yeah, I, it's strange. Again, I guess there is the benefit of once once you had the say, the restart... The medium probably was the better tire to be on, I think perhaps the use might have just been better for that initial mm-hmm. uh restart um i f- uh, I really would love to know what goes through like Ferrari's strategist's head um, <laughs> when they're coming up with this stuff um I guess maybe they maybe they just got complacent and they just wanted to that was what they thought was the best thing to do if they were going to pit him and he was going to lose track position. Maybe that was the time to go use softs and just not worry about the fact that they might not get the pace towards the end, but that would at least give them the protection they needed at the restart. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I don't know. It's a difficult one.
0: It is. And uh, safety cars are always tricky points in time, especially when it's late in the race and some drivers have already made their pit stops. It's always a difficult call. Uh, Hardly uh, the most confusing of the calls that Ferrari made this weekend, but it was nonetheless a messy weekend for them on all fronts. Didn't have the pace, uh, didn't have the calls when they needed it. Uh, and that meant they didn't finish on the podium. The championship gap almost doesn't bear thinking about. It's 96 points in the constructors, and it's more than two clear race wins in the drivers, I think I'm right in saying, or it's very close to for Vettel at very least. Um, So it's a long... Look, we'll put it in these terms. A long way to come back from, I think, is a good... um, diplomatic way to, to put it uh, but if we look further down the field at some of the other decisions that made up the points paying places in particular um, this was a big weekend for Haas because they've had a pretty terrible start to the season despite having on all by all accounts quite a quick card normally in qualifying quite quick and they did finish best of the rest at least with Kevin Magnussen in seventh place uh, which was an important result for them because this is a track where they also did quite well in pre-season testing, but so almost came undone at the safety car when their drivers started racing each other a little <laughs> bit too hard. Are you surprised that, I mean, we talk about Team Orders a lot uh, in this episode, but are you surprised that Haas perhaps didn't play it more safely and ordered them to finish um, in 7th and 8th? I really am
1: because I think Haas no better than anyone, how important it is to get points when you can. Mm-hmm. So we know last year after they lost that bunch of points in Australia, that could have arguably cost them fourth place in the Constructors' Championship all the way down the other end of the year, and it was that was just one race. I kind of feel that because of the problems they've had, they didn't score for three successive races um, after Australia. And so coming to Spain, providing they got everything together, um, this was going to be... Uh, a no brainer for you know they should just go and open goal take the points. they know what these two drivers are like. they know that Roman Grosjean hadn 't scored points yet and would have been desperate to get points. They know that kevin wouldn 't ever want to let anyone pass <laughs> ever, and so they know what they 're like when they would come when they come together, and they know that a safety car restart scenario opens the door to do it. It sounds like there was no call because obviously Kevin Magnussen had a stab. Um, and it was intriguing to see that they allowed that to happen and were obviously naturally disappointed at the end of the race because they just threw a load of points away.
0: Yeah, and that's uh, it's becoming a harsh trait, as you said, that they, they, they don't maximise points. And on a weekend when, theoretically, the team they're racing for fourth place, Renault, and we'll get to Renault a little bit later on, uh, failed to score points. Certainly at that point, we're not in the, in the points paying places. I thought it was interesting that the team radio on the warm down lap from Gunther Steiner was sort of, quite stern with Magnuson, saying that he was the first person he was to report to after the race and then was almost apologetic with Grosjean, uh, begging him to stay calm, which I thought sort of more or less apportioned the blame, even they're not doing so so publicly. Uh, Grosjean almost fell out of the points, it has to be said. It actually was what made the, that final stint of the race uh, a little bit interesting, I suppose, because there was some fighting over these last points paying places. Um, his detriment was to the gain of science and Kvyat, Uh, And Kvyat himself also feels like he's probably a little bit aggrieved because he was on track to perhaps challenge for seventh had it not been for some some tire troubles behind the safety car. Yeah,
1: so Kvyat um, was one of the drivers I thought during the race gave us plenty of entertainment. Mm. Like he was, he had his overtaking boots on uh, on Sunday, and that Toro Rosso. I don't think it was the head. It was the. I don't think it was the head of the midfield. I don't think it was the fastest of the car, of the cars on that Sunday afternoon, but it was right up there. And I think it's quite refreshing given they didn't really bring a big update to Spain. They're operating, I think, what they call a rolling development program, <laughs> which basically means we're not going to bring a big upgrade at any point, which just going to bring bits to every race. So I thought it was really encouraging for them that they were so strong um, across the weekend. And I think without that double pit stop um, error, they would have got, both cars into their points because it's, it's that horrible scenario where you're that driver queuing up and the only thing you don't want to happen is a problem in front of you mm-hmm. and then you see it happen and then time must slow down yeah. and you just must be thinking my race is over, why have I bothered? Like it's just, <laughs> it must be such a horrible feeling um, to go through and that's exactly what Alexander Albon had when he was sat there watching mechanics running around with tyres but um, I think it was oh, Franz tossed said after the race that it was... Um, A miscommunication, a radio miscommunication. Um, They've said that a lot, I think, Mm. in in days gone by. And and the mechanics thought that Albon was coming in, um, so they had his tyres ready. Kvyat then turned up, so they were, like, flapping about trying to get the right tyres. Then the front left, I don't think, went on properly, so that slowed them up again. They finally went through. And to be fair, they got Albon out reasonably quickly afterwards, but by then the race was lost. So it it was really unfortunate, because I think if everything had gone right, um, Kvyat potentially could have got signed, and even might have had a challenge um, of Kevin Magnussen. I think that probably would have been a step too far, but it would have been interesting watching him try.
0: It would have been great. I sort of counted back the laps to the safety car. A terrific sliding door moment because, yeah, he, could have, he potentially could have had seventh. He thinks he could have had seventh. And who knows, you know, at the safety car restart, anything could happen, but... It would have been Grosjean ahead of him, and Magnussen, I think, behind him. I'm right in saying. So he could have avoided the whole situation in the first place, and he could have just taken seventh. And then who would have who would have cared what happened to Haas after that? Maybe they wouldn't have crashed, and it would have saved Günther Steiner a whole lot of heartache. It, that could have been the answer. So really, Toro Rosso ruined this race for everybody, <laughs> baby. That's brilliant.
1: I love how you've played that one out. Haas could have potentially scored more by losing to Toro Rosso.
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's brilliant, isn't it? That's going to be a new like challenge mode on the new F1 game. It's just specifically this scenario. Can you get the pit stop um, right and save everybody else's day? Um, yeah, sounds like a great idea. <laughs> uh, one uh, team didn't necessarily lose out from this situation in particular, but did lose out from the, the broader situation. If you like, was Renault, uh, and whether or not they lost out from this situation or are just losing out by themselves is very much <laughs> up for debate. Uh, they well, they should have been well, they should be better all year, but they should have been better here. Their qualifying pace was very mysterious because Nico Hulkenberg didn't seem to have it, and of course, the crash didn't help. Yeah. Um, and he, so he didn't get as many shots in Q1 as he liked. Ricardo did qualify in the top 10, then started 13th because of, of a penalty he picked up for backing into Kvyat in Azerbaijan. Uh, neither driver scored points, though, but it wasn't really a per- perfectly executed weekend. It really came to a head after the safety car when Ricardo found himself behind the one-stopping Hulkenberg, but wasn't allowed past with Team Orders. Again, Team Orders come up. Uh, Aren't we sick of talking about Team Orders? <laughs> And the That's thing is, fun.
1: these te- the last two team orders we've been talking about um, are kind of f- for slightly more minor places. Mm. When I think when you're a fan and maybe you're watching a race, you probably don't think that team orders are perhaps necessary. The ones that normally come under the spotlight is if you're doing a team order for say mm. a podium place, obviously, or obviously for a win. So the fact that you know we're talking about a team order aspect for eleventh and twelfth, or twelfth and thirteenth, is interesting. But I think this might have cost them at least the chance to properly fight for yeah. points. It was very, it was very strange strategy all round, I think, for Ricardo, He was um, as diplomatic <laughs> as he could be after the race in talking about the team's strategy, but he was ultimately saying, don't know what they were doing. Like, why did they put me on the hards when it should have been the mediums? And um, after we'd seen Charles Leclerc's pace mm. um, on the hards, you'd probably say that, yeah, he's, he was right. Like, the medium was the obvious thing to go it was the more attacking it was it was just the it was the way to go so i can see why he was a bit um he was a bit disappointed that they put him on there i ultimately i don't think he would have made the difference i don't think he would have got points in the end, um, which is probably another talking point because that's massively concerning for Renault, isn't it? But um, in terms of from the pure strategy point of view, it was a strange decision.
0: Talking more broadly about Renault though, and I bring this up mainly, I know from my position in Australia, I probably get asked this a lot more than perhaps you do in England, but What's happening? What what is your take on what's happening with Renault? Because not only I mean we started this show by talking about the fact this is a big test for Ferrari, not only because the, the pre season testing angle, how they were so quick here in preseason testing, mm-hmm. but we often regard the Spanish Grand Prix as sort of a, a milestone race if you like, a benchmark race because everyone knows it so well. It's a fairly comprehensive test of the car and all the drivers have a lot of experience on it one way or another. It's. This isn't necessarily saying that this is the finishing order of the entire grid. That this is the pecking order in the constructors' championship. No. But nonetheless, when a team performs poorly here, it's a pretty bad sign. Is this just similar to Ferrari, perhaps a massive misreading of the confidence they had after pre-season testing, or is something something worse going on here?
1: So I actually attempted to answer this question what is going on uh, what's going wrong with Renault in a feature um, recently and the the main things that kind of came up in that is that it feels like Renault are making the same mistakes that they have done since they've returned as a works manufacturer or I guess as long as I can remember them being in Formula One Mm -hmm. so they're they're pushing too hard they're optimistic and when they're pushing hard back at the factory they're they're cutting corners and that's not in a dangerous way. Um, But it, they're, they're kind of perhaps not doing all the checks that they would ordinarily do. And Cyril Beatles already admitted that when they're trying to fight, they, they feel that this is what is necessary to try and keep up. And I guess when you're chasing and when you've had a bad start to the season, you perhaps um, take more risks than you ordinarily would. And that's what they're doing. And the unfortunate thing with that is that the risks that they are taking either aren't giving them the performance gains that they would hope for or they're resulting in failures and that's obviously Mm -hmm. the terrible combination of things to have um the drivers the drivers aren't really making the most of it as well so when things are going well um the drivers aren't getting the most out of the car dan ricardo obviously should have got points Mm -hmm. in baku um Really. He, you know, it would they wouldn't have been massive points, but he should have done. And Holkenberg, I know at this stage of the season he tends to have a very strong start to the year. And then it's sort of he seems to have a, a few races where he has a few moments and we seem mm-hmm. to be in that period now. I'm not I'm not saying that the crash in in qualifying wasn't um I'm not saying that it was like what ruined his entire weekend, but that's just the kind of mistake he wouldn't be making if he was completely mm. comfortable with the car. And he just doesn't seem to have a, a, a hold on it. And the fact that they're both coming out and saying, look, we just we just don't really understand why we can't get on top of this car and kind of get it to do what we want it to do is hugely concerning at this stage because they've got the fourth you know, biggest budget mm. on the grid. They shouldn't be eighth in the Constructors' Championship. They shouldn't be struggling to get points on a, on a race weekend. And this was the year, and you sort of suggested it earlier, that they were supposed to be attacking Red Bull, not falling back into the depths of the midfield. It's, it's, not, it's not great. Um, and now they're going to be in this kind of position where they're just going to be chasing. And when you chase, you tend to make more mistakes. Um, and that doesn't, that's not really very helpful when they were making mistakes before they were chasing.
0: These are the the interesting aspects of the Spanish Grand Prix. Even if the racing tends to be a bit processional, uh, maybe because we shouldn't test at the same tracks we race at, perhaps a topic for another day, you mm-hmm. do at least get some of these answers to questions that are asked over the first four flyaway seasons all of which less representative than the last we like to say <laughs> so an interesting result on the unfolding narrative of the 2019 championship season however long it might last and Lawrence it was a pleasure to look back on it with you
1: thank you very much yeah I've enjoyed it and I suppose that's an optimistic way to end this <laughs> podcast that makes me feel better good effort
0: That was FormulaOne.com senior writer Lawrence Barretto. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. Download the 2019 edition of Apex Race Manager for free on iOS and Android devices. Don't forget you can get every episode of The Strategy Report by subscribing on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on your favourite podcasting app, plus all of your socials. And while you're there, why not leave us a review to help other F1 fans find the show. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast, and if you're hankering for a less serious look back at the week in F1 after the Spanish Grand Prix, why not search for Box of Neutrals in your podcasting app of choice, where this week Rob James and I ask, is it really a Grand Prix if nothing happens? Something to ponder after a less than spectacular round in Barcelona. My name's Michael Laminato. You can look me up at Michael Laminato on Twitter, and I'll catch you in two weeks' time for the Monaco Grand Prix.